Our first Bible reading this morning comes to us from the Old Testament in 1 Kings, chapter 19, beginning at verse 1 through to 11a. So that's 1 Kings 19, 1 to 11a. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he travelled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. But the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. The second Bible reading comes from James chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. Now listen, you rich people, wail and weep because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and your moth and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent, sorry, the innocent one who was not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm. 
because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders and the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name's Andrew. I'm a member of staff here. If it's your first time amongst us or your first time after a while away, welcome. Uh, it's great to have you this morning. We were missionaries in Italy for about 11 years and we came back to Australia in 2015. And just before we did that, I, I, I did something that I always wanted to do. I went on a mountaineering adventure. I'd become aware of an American Christian guy who was a guide in Italy and he'd um, organized camps for some of the university students that I was ministering among and he offered you know trips of course that people could pay for and one of the trips that uh, adventures that he offered was getting to the top of Gran Paradiso which is 4,000 meters high it's the highest mountain in Italy which is completely in Italy there are others that are higher but they border other countries and I thought, that's what I want to do, and I want to take our eldest boy, Zeke. And at that stage, he was 13. Now, that was problematic because our kids, they grew up in this urban environment in Florence, right? And there was no way was, were they outdoorsmen or outdoors women at all. They were at home in the concrete jungle of Florence. And 
what happened the night before we were about to make the ascent? The, our guide was saying, we're going to get up tomorrow morning at about 4am. We'll be doing a bit of uh, walking through the dark through the boulder field. And then we'll get to the ice at about 6.37. We'll put on the crampons and then we'll kind of start making the ascent from there. And we'll summit at around 10am. And he said, and this is what got me. I've never done this before, but I've watched some YouTube videos. <laughs> that didn't inspire me with confidence. And in fact, um, I lay awake the whole night tossing and turning and praying and, and just wondering whether, how this whole thing was going to go. And he said, look, it's the easiest ascent you can do in Italy. It's graded very low, which it is. Um, you don't need much experience to get to the top. But the fact that all he'd done was watch a video to work out how to summit this thing did not inspire me with confidence. Um, and my reflection in that moment, and why I wanted to start the talk today with that story, was that leadership is so crucial. And even, even when you're just one or two steps ahead, you really do need to know something of the journey or the trip or the task in order to lead other people. And as we come to this passage today, and as we think back across James, it's really, really clear that the Lord is leading his people by his word, through the Lord Jesus, through the Apostle James, through the church then and its eldership, and through the church now down to each one of us. And what God is basically on about is helping each one of us choose life. Choose life. Um, which is why today I'm picking verses 19 and 20 as my um, key verse. And they say this, If one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. As we're going to see, that's Christian leadership. And it's the task of the Christian community. Because through this passage, God's saying, look, don't panic no matter what's going down. Don't swear by any other power. Keep trusting me. Don't go solo. Don't go rogue. Keep pressing into me and to each other. Let's pray and ask that we would do that as we understand it today. Please join me. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you want us to have life. Lord, thank you that you care whether we wander from Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you give us yourself and your word and your spirit and each other so that we can actually be bringing each other back to trust Christ, be saved from death and have our sins covered. And we praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I've just realised, can we just keep that slide for the whole of this talk um, because what's happened in the course of this week is I started planning my talk in one direction and the slides were prepared in that direction and it's all changed except for the title. So talk to me about that after, you know. Um, that could be a useful conversation. So my first point is this. Don't panic. Be patient. Because when faced with trials, especially when they challenge what we believe... Our tendency is to doubt, to be anxious, to even be depressed. But James says, don't panic, be patient and wait for God. 
So do you want to just cast your eyes down there to James chapter 5, verse 7? And let's read the first part of that verse. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. So in this verse, the then throws us back to what's come before. It's just a grammatical indicator that what's about to follow is based on what's been amassed to that point. And what we've heard before is in verse 4, I think, is the key. The ears of the Lord Almighty are actually open to the cries of those who are oppressed. The ears of the Lord Almighty are actually open to the cries of his Christian people who are oppressed. And he will call that to account. That's the basis. And it's not only that he hears, but he will judge. And that's what's explained there. God's judgment is certain. Have a look. Verse 8. You too be patient and stand firm because, here's the reason, the Lord's coming is near. And then verse 9. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. He is powerful, he hears, it's certain, but it's a unique combination because he's then described as being full of compassion and mercy. (laughs) What a combination. Utter power, sovereignty. He is, will judge, full of compassion and mercy. So he, he is the one who has got life and death in his hands. And he's reliable, he's good to those who trust in him. And there are three examples that I just mentioned really briefly in this passage, but are very, very full, and just quite simply making the point, don't panic, be patient. The first example is the example of the farmer. And at first blush, we might, like, we might just like to think, oh, well, James, he's just kind of sat around thinking, oh, what's an easy example that these people will understand? Oh, yeah, farmer, that's right, I'll choose that. Easy, they'll all get that. I think it's a, it's a better and deeper example than we might first think. Here's why. This is God's world. It works in his way. God has put power into the earth and into the seed so that when the seed gets placed in the earth, the way he's worked it out is that will grow pretty well often and in the cycle that God has established, here comes the seed comes to maturity it can be harvested and then used for food this is God's world it works in his way the experience of the farmer just testifies to that season in season out as difficult as it can be sometimes so in this case the farmer is tested by a lack of rain and of course that's going to induce stress of course it's going to be frustrating at times the farmer will be sitting around thinking is this ever going to work But the point is that God's world is made in God's way and in the end, the rain usually comes. (laughs) Be patient and wait. And even even in in our contemporary experience and the disasters that this continent has been experiencing, in WA, there is a record harvest. Can you believe that? I'm sure there have been plenty of farmers stressing about what the future might hold, but at least in WA, it's testifying to the fact that be patient and wait. The world keeps working God's way. Now, the second example is of the prophets. It's one of the reasons why I wanted us to hear from 1 Kings this morning, because Elijah is a classic example. But did you, did you hear when John was reading that how desperate 
Elijah is. I tell you what, that's one of the last jobs I would ever put my hand up to do. Lord, yeah, make me a prophet. No way. (laughs) Absolutely guaranteed suffering because the prophet hears the word of God and tells out the word of God, usually saying to the people of God, repent. And they don't want to hear it. And that was the case in Elijah's day because he was prophesying against King Ahab who had carved out 10 of the tribes of Israel, shifted everything up into the north of Israel, set up golden calves and got everyone worshipping. And Elijah's the guy saying, no, it's not going to work that way. Do you remember Elijah gets to the point where he says, he's praying, kill me. That's pretty, that's pretty low. He's not going to take his own life, but he's saying, Lord, you've got the power, take it, because I do not want to do this thing anymore. And what Elijah's life testifies to is this. In the end, what God said comes true. It's not what people say. So be patient and wait. Don't panic. Then there's a third example, and it gets even more specific. Job. Why is Job's example so important? Well, for this reason, especially for suffering Christians to hear this word. Job was super righteous, right? He's super targeted by Satan. So in Job, what we have are the curtains pulled back on the cosmic reality of what is happening to God's righteous people. They are under the hammer from Satan himself. But what's the lesson? In the end, God vindicates and restores and blesses those who trust in him. So you you see in these three examples, the farmer, the prophets, Job, don't panic. Be patient. Because in each case, there is testing and temptation to take the out, to think, no, the Lord is not full of compassion, to think, no, the Lord is not full of mercy, to think, no, the Lord's word is not good. There's a temptation to be impatient. There's a temptation to run away and not stand firm and not trust God. There's the temptation, and now I'm dragging it into James' experience and the people of that time and now into our experience. There's the temptation for us to think Jesus is not in the judgment seat. He is not in control. He might have said once upon a time that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, but that was once upon a time. It doesn't work that way anymore. And that's what brings out the grumbling against one another because we actually put ourselves in the judgment seat and we start making up our own minds about how it all works around here. And instead of submitting to Christ, I become your judge and I turn on you. And I talk about you and not to you. And I forget about Jesus and I just keep making my own mind up. But James is saying, be clear, be clear. The Lord's coming is near. The judge is standing at the door. He's the judge of you and he's the judge of them. You're not the judge. So don't judge each other. Leave it to the Lord. He's full of compassion and mercy. Don't panic. Be patient. You can count on it. So let me give you an example, um, maybe from my experience, and hopefully this has been your experience as well. This is Parenting Advice 101 by Andrew Lubbock. Okay, so you can take it or leave it. So some of the things that I've come to understand have been really fundamental and helpful are these. Pray for your kids um, daily. Play with your kids. I think especially as a dad, that's really, really important that you're available and you're playing with your kids. 
But, but third point, uh, and actually be relying deeply on the grace of God. And last point is this, and, and we want to drag it back into our passage for today. I think, I think this is the drop-dead piece of advice for parenting. Do what you say. It's so simple. And as you pursue that policy, that approach, your kids realise he means it. And when he says yes or no, it actually means yes or no, and he keeps backing it up. But what that does is it grows trust. And the kids can actually depend on their parents. The opposite is abysmal, right? So parents says one thing and doesn't back it up. The kid knows that that word is not trustworthy. It has no power in it. And guess who starts to run the family? The kids. <laughs> But what we have here in the God of the Bible is utter reliability in what he says and it comes true. The Lord Jesus has shown us that actually. He staked his life on it and guess what? God raises the faithful dead. So what should our response be? Don't panic. Be patient. Keep trusting him. Second point. Don't swear. So we had a bit of a discussion in our life group on Monday night. Is this really about swearing? Is it you know, using bad words? And I think we came to the conclusion, no, it's not. Um, this is what it means. Never think that the Lord is powerless. So never even whisper that there might be an alternative power source. I think that's what he's getting at. So have a look down there, verse 12. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. So again, another reflection just on that verse before we kind of dig in a little bit more. People are asking, uh, so someone made the observation in the course of our studying, above all, that just seems to be a massive thing to be saying, right? Like the most important thing here you've got to listen to is this. Why? Why would he say something like that at a moment like this? Well, I, I think this is why, and why it's so drastic, why the language is so strong. Don't be tempted to substitute the creation for the creator. Don't substitute anything for God's power in Christ. You see, because back then, it could have been the case that they would say, by the strength of the earth, by the power of the earth, such and such. But as they, anyone would say that, it means forgetting the God who made the heavens in the first instance. And as they would say, by the power of the earth, by the, by the power of the heavens, they'd be forgetting the God who actually made these things. So what are you going to do? Are you going to make promises based on the strength of what the God who made them made? Or are you actually going to trust the God who made these things? So putting anything in the place of Christ means forgetting the God who sent him, means forgetting the God who raised him, means forgetting the God who can forgive you, and means forgetting the God who can actually give you eternal life. Now, here's a bit of a word association. What, what comes into your mind when I say something like, by the power of? Yeah, I think I, think, I, think I heard, heard what came into my mind when I was thinking about this um, in preparation for this talk, by the power of Skull. And I'm thinking, what, what is that? And I googled that. Ah, yes, that's right, He-Man and the master of the universe, you know. Uh, 
Hopefully no one remembers that, but uh, <laughs> it was big, people, right? <laughs> Once upon a time. Anyway, I found out that what he was swearing by was the, the power of the castle Greyskull, and his, his opponent was Skeletor. And so by the power that the castle Greyskull had, he would actually fight off Skeletor and all the other people associated with Skeletor. Um, I also grew up reading Asterix and Obelix. And, you know, all the time, by Tertatus, by Minerva, you know, and just simply referencing what historically was the case, that people were, were looking for power, constantly looking for power. I remember also talking to a missionary who is a missionary in South America, and we were reflecting on uh, some of the things that he'd observed, and he said it's so curious to see even people who are part of our church um, go to different shrines or um, go and seek out even kind of soothsayers and, and magicians to get some insight into what the future might hold. And we were reflecting on the fact that simply in that cultural situation, it was a case of looking for the greatest power. And some of you might have kind of grown up in cultures where that's simply the case. Um, people are looking for power in order to push back evil, let in light, and be safe and at peace and have some hope of a future. But it, it might be not even that kind of spiritual in your life. So maybe there's some of the things that we practically think of uh, by the power of my home loan. You know, that, that stability that actually having a home actually gives me or by the power of my health, as long as I have it, by the power of my health insurance, by the power of my own intellect, that's a, I think that's a big thing in Canberra for sure. By the power of my study or the professor who taught me. By the power of my job level or my ability to do whatever. But what the Bible talks about is by the power of Christ's love. <laughs> by the power of God's love in Christ. Which we acknowledge in our vision statement. We want to be people who are gripped by the love of Christ. Why? Because God's love in Christ has actually overcome sin, defeated death, and gives us an eternal hope. <laughs> and so what James is talking about is not keeping your mouth clean necessarily, although that, that is absolutely a good thing to do, but keeping your heart clean. Trusting God in Christ, not anything else. And that's why he says, above all, don't swear. Don't put your trust in anything else. And that's what he goes on to talk about. And this is my third and final point. Don't go solo. Don't go rogue. Instead, trust God and turn to him together. Have a look at verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. In these three sentences, it's quite amazing. The whole of life is actually covered. Um, in any moment, no matter what is going down, turn to the Lord and to each other. Don't go solo. Don't turn to the creation, but to the creator and his people. So I'm just going to tease that out a little bit. So in the face of trouble, so suffering misfortune, where do I actually turn? To God in Christ or to some kind of substitute power. So what James is saying is, no, no, 
turn to the unseen God who has shown himself to be powerful and do this as the first and ongoing step by making trusting requests of him. So here's an easy diagnosis of, of who we trust. In your most recent trouble, in your most recent difficulty, even this morning, what did you do? Did you go solo or did you turn to God? So banal example, but I think still practical. Um, this morning we arrived and found that despite the best efforts of one of our most dedicated servants here, the pro-presenter slides were not there for 8am. So I turned to the photocopier. I missed the first step. I didn't pray. <laughs> so I'm just giving you a, a really simple exa- example of a moment, a diagnosis of myself, okay? There was no panic, actually, so I'm proud of that. But it wasn't exactly a, a, a turning to the Lord moment. So where do you turn? Where do I turn? But in the face of something actually going right, where do I turn? To God in Christ or to some kind of substitute power? Or do I just simply forget because things are going well and I don't really need to worry about God in this moment, do I? Well, no, he's saying no. Turn to the God behind all things to thank him and to praise him. And here's again an easy diagnosis. Recently, this morning, when something went right, how did you respond? Did you go solo? Or did you actually turn to God and thank him? And I find actually these two things are really helpful. I puzzled over this actually as I've been thinking, mate, this doesn't seem, I don't know, it seems too simple. It doesn't really seem to make sense. And he just glances across these things. He just mentions these things. And it almost seems like they're nothing. And this is what I've come to realize as I've, as I've reflected on it. Both are the attitude of turning to God, but especially when things are going well and we turn to God, we are practicing and training our hearts not only to rightly give him thanks, but really to be better ready when things are going badly and we feel like we need him more. So to grow our thankfulness is simply to train our hearts in the right direction. And that's what God's talking about. But then he goes on, doesn't he? He says, in the face of real illness, where do I turn? And I'm leaning on that expression, real illness, for two reasons. Because he is talking, I think, about real physical illness. And I I want to acknowledge that there are people amongst us who are suffering regularly from chronic pain, very great difficulties, diagnoses which are not positive. And there are members of our congregation who can't come to church anymore because they're just so physically debilitated. And that is deep suffering. So that's serious illness on one level, but I think what James is also talking about is the deeper frame, the larger frame, the more serious frame of sin. Sin is the real cancer. Sin is the real killer. And we're going to deal with both of these in just a moment, but I want to ask you a question, first of all. um, Why don't you turn to God in Christ in these very serious, deep moments? Okay, why don't you? And here, here are some of the reasons why you may not. You're feeling too sinful. You're feeling like the things you have done are so deeply shameful that, that God cannot forgive you, so you don't go to him. Perhaps you feel too small, that God is so large and he is so big that why would he be bothered with you, a microbe? 
you might think you're too insignificant, that God's got more important things to do. Or you might think, depending on your cultural background, you might think that your suffering and your sin, that's a private matter. And I, I keep my upper lip stiff and I just persevere through it, no matter what. It's because culturally you've been conditioned to think that. Or you might also think that your suffering at the moment is some indicator from God that you've failed and you just need to suck it up. And you can't possibly turn your face to the God of grace because this is his punishment. Well, I think James is reminding us, no, none of these things is sufficient. (laughs) All these things are broken reasoning, actually. And he's saying the opposite. So here, I think, is what James is saying is going to overcome this and some practical considerations for us today, just like they were back then. But I'm kind of looking at this from a different angle. I'm looking at it from the point of view of eldership. Because I think the big implication here is that Christian leaders are responsible for setting up Christian communities so that Christian people will actually live Christianly. (laughs) A few Christians in there. But it's very serious because people like me can make people like you feel like there is no place to turn back to God. And if that is true, then I need to repent and change that. And those who are elders amongst us also need to change. So here's what he says as he speaks to elders. They are known and available. So if you're going to call the elders, you need to know who they are. And the elders need to be available to respond to a call. And their ministry certainly includes prayer. The elders are able to travel. And they've actually got oil for anointing, okay? So I think the physical anointing act, yes. I think what James is saying is, yes, do it. Because it's actually a a real thing. Just as a a tiny aside, um, I think St. Matthew's recently has become known as um, the church that has tried to break Canberra Access through applying for too many working with vulnerable people cards. Um, Because when we initiated Serve 2022 last year and tried to get everyone up um, to safe ministry compliance, suddenly everything at Access Canberra seemed to slow down. And I I joked, uh, half-jokingly, I said to a few people along the way, I think those Access Canberra people are cursing St. Matthews because we've absolutely chalked up their system. And they might have been asking themselves, what are those people up there doing? You know, what's gone wrong at St. Matthew's that everyone needs a WWVP card? But I think if what James is saying is true, a similar thing might be asked of us at supermarkets around the place. What do those people at St. Matthew's want with all this oil? (laughs) They must be dripping with the stuff, right? But I think what James is actually saying is, yes, the elders need to be active, actually in leadership, in tangible contact, in praying for people. And in Jesus' name, actually signing them that, yeah, Christ is over you. We're praying that Christ would be at work in you by his spirit. And these praying elders, they're people who trust Jesus Christ because their prayer is offered in dependence on God's power, not on their own power. Also notice there's no magic here. So the elders don't turn up and do incantations and a bit of magic and waving wands and whatever it might be. They simply turn up and in Jesus' name they pray for people. Anoint them with oil. And their trusting prayer is part of God's deliverance ministry. But again, I just want to make a careful note here. This can include physical healing, but the elders know the real cancer is sin. 
And that is a very clear part of their ministry. Because have a look at verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. And let me explain. I think there's an ambiguity in the language that's being used here that leaves both possibilities open. That he is talking about physical healing and he's certainly talking about spiritual forgiveness and salvation. Because in verse 16, oh sorry, verse 15, it could be translated deliver, heal, save. And I think probably the best translations will head towards deliver and save. But it still could be about physical healing. Yet the emphasis really is rescue from death for sin. And so this is where the rubber hits the road for us. We want the elders to pray for healing while knowing the greatest necessary miracle is forgiveness. And in this, we're just simply following the Lord Jesus. Do you remember? Jesus is teaching in a house. There are so many people who are fascinated with him. The house is chock-a-block. The crowd is overflowing. And four men who are carrying their paralyzed friend turn up. They can't get to him. Impossible. So onto the roof, dig a hole, lower the man to the feet of Jesus. Massive moment. Jesus can't escape. The man can't get out. And so they're forced together. And remember what Jesus did. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> Everyone's shocked. Partly because Jesus is putting himself in the place of God, but mainly because it's quite clear this bloke didn't come to get his sins forgiven. He just wants to get up and be able to walk again. <laughs> and then Jesus goes on and says, so that you may know that the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins, I tell you, get up, take your mat and walk. <laughs> it's exactly what happened. But here's the priority of Jesus. He knows that the biggest problem is the sin of a person and he's come to deal with that. But at the same time, he's not negating the physical needs, but that's kind of secondary. <laughs> and so in the ministry of the elders, what do they remember? that their ministry must be as much about the gospel of the Lord Jesus as about the healing of the person. That's why he will go on to say in verse 16, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So the elders have to grow a community that confesses sin, a community that doesn't go solo, and they cultivate a church that prays for each other for healing and salvation. But here's the challenge for you and me. Could we in the next year pray for and seek out just one other person with whom we can be pretty real about how things are going? Because it seems to me that what we're being encouraged to do is make sure of our calling and election. Make sure that our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Make sure that nothing is getting in the way not even the seriousness of any illness that we might be facing. Now, that can be very difficult for each of us to contemplate. But it's so serious, isn't it? Because he's saying, elders, yep, whatever it is you're going to do as you're, as you're out there with your oil, <laughs> make sure that you're telling them the good news of the Lord Jesus so that they will actually repent and put their trust in him. 
Because if you're not doing that, you know nothing. <laughs> and you need to go back to Christianity 101. And Elijah is left as the example. Not only, I think, that prayer is powerful, because remember in this example, he only prays twice. The first time under God's instruction, he prays so that, that the clouds will stop and there will be no rain, and God's power in judgment and salvation is clear. He prays a second time to demonstrate that God's judging and saving power is clear. But the power is God's, and he prays. So prayer is absolutely vital, elders of the church. And church prayer is vital. But remember, what we're trying to help people understand is that they need to repent. They need to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. God's word comes true. So here's the conclusion. Like I said at the start, it was a rotten moment for me to realise that that guide had not gone ahead. He didn't know. We were his experiment. That was awful. Leadership, Christian leadership, crucially depends on trusting the Lord Jesus and relying on him so that the church can actually grow as people who press into God. They don't panic, but they wait. They don't swear by anything else, don't put their, put their trust in anything else except God's power in Christ. And they don't go solo, but actually turn to God and turn to each other. And that's the kind of people we want to be. So let's pray that we might be that now. Please join me. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your clarity. Thank you that you want us to choose life. And Lord, that you set up your church so that we can keep hearing your word and choose Christ. Father, please help us to see that if one of us should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, that whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way, they're actually saving them from death and covering over a multitude of sins. So Father, we pray for our church leadership that that is what it would be like so that we would be like that. Please help us not to panic. Please help us not to trust anything else. And please help us to go with you and not alone. In Jesus' name, amen.